Hello and welcome to the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr. Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast, I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Irina Shah. Irina is the host of the Fibre Chats YouTube channel and has interviewed hundreds of knitters and other fibre artists. You can find a link to Irina's YouTube channel and her Instagram in the show notes. Hi, Irina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for inviting me. You're so welcome. So I always start with asking, where did your story with knitting begin? Well, it's funny because like my grandmother was extremely handy. She she was a seamstress. She could make anything like from dresses to coats, you name it. She was like very skilled knitter and crochet. But she used it as a supplementary income for her rather large family. And when my mom was growing up, she sort of saw that as a sign of poverty, sign of necessity. So even though she could do everything, she sort of resented the idea of doing it as a necessity. So when I was probably like seven or eight, something like that, I spent my summers with my grandmother and one summer she taught me how to knit. And I came back home and my mom saw me knitting and she was like, why are you wasting your time? Just go play. And that was the end of my knitting career until years ago and did your grandma carry on doing it as a hobby after she didn't need to do it um for money anymore I think like less so like it was just sometimes she would make some like outfit for me like Mm -hmm. like make me a dress something like that but it was like more you know occasional thing not everyday routine So then like five years ago, a friend of mine was having a baby and she said, this is my fourth and last child and I never had a baby shower. So I said, oh, let me throw you a baby shower. And I was thinking, what can I make for her to something special? And I went on YouTube and I saw somebody knitting these beautiful little booties. And I was like, I think I can. I remember how to knit and purl. I think I can do that. So that was my first project. And then I never stopped from that point on. Oh, wow. And what do you think it was that so it's interesting you were confident you could remember enough of it having not done it for quite a long time it was sort of like riding a bike it was like muscle memory on some level and I literally needed probably for a week yeah. and this all that like it came really easy to me mm. and what do you think it was that made you kind of carry on with knitting when the booties were done I think it was this feeling of like me actually creating something tangible mm-hmm some beauty to that it's like you can spend an hour watching tv and then at the end of it you have nothing as a result or you for an hour and you have something to hold and to like play with you know yeah so it's the idea of having made something and something to show for that time point it was like really a lot about the project like I was doing one project at the time I would start and I would be like knitting it wasn't every day necessarily at the beginning it was like you know maybe a couple times a week for an hour here and there but then like it was the idea of finishing something and having that object to show and to you know to now it's more it became more about the process like I care less about the final product and 
probably like 80% of everything I make, I just give gift away. Mm-hmm. So, so it becomes less about what I'm knitting and more about the knitting itself and the joy it brings. Mm. It's interesting you found that. So that's over, did you say about five years? That yeah. change has happened. Yeah. And what is it about the process now that, what does that give you now? Well, it also changes. So at the beginning, I was, at the very beginning, I was just like trying to, even the stitches out, right? Create the tension that it looks something like a fabric and not wonky little thing. And then very quickly, I discovered Shetland lace. So I jumped into Shetland lace without understanding the complexity of it. I just thought, oh, pretty, you know? So I went to the library. I I got a book by Elizabeth Lovick that had a heart stall on the cover of that book. And I was like, oh, that's so pretty. So I'm going to make that. And that was like a whole new world of knitting. And I learned so much. I learned about the history of Shetland lace but I also learned about like the amazing women who used to knit it right and there how they were combining it with everyday tasks and the knitting belt and how they were working from house to house and they would always bring their knitting with them so it's all this like somehow it brought back my relationship with my grandmother like it's very like home-like to me hearing all these stories I wondered if that like that appealed to you that kind of familial kind of connection whether you kind of saw your family in that and it felt like a way of connecting to your grandma well it was also very interesting for me because like if I interviewed a bunch of Shetlanders and every time I would ask the same question because like I remember my mom being almost resentful uh, about the handicrafts and I was asking them because Shetland in this respect it's also like it was Uh, there is a lot of poverty, like people relied on knitting as a secondary income. So everybody from little kids to adults, like were knitting at home and then selling their needs to get some some extra money. And I was asking everybody if they resented being sort of forced into knitting, right? Money making, and they all loved it. So that was like very interesting aspect for me. I guess that you maybe haven't interviewed the ones who, don't associate with knitters or watch knitting YouTube and have now become (laughs) something else work in marketing (laughs) but it's like it's interesting for me because I feel like it's some in some way like we all have that the desire of like creating something of like being able to like whether it's drawing painting or you know paint your walls or decorate your house or something, you know? So it's like, it's instilled in us somewhere. And I feel like it brings this sort of familiarity and like joy of your childhood memories and, you know, feel and feel of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely a common, like I hear a lot about learning from grandmas or mums and, um, you know, that it's a way of feeling connected to your family members and I suppose I wonder, like I'm when I use uh, the idea of knitting or kind of creativity therapeutically, um, I don't know that everybody feels connected to that part of themselves, that the idea of wanting to create things from scratch. It's something I've always like looking back now, always had a need to do <laughs> and done it in different ways, like cross stitch or kind of polymer clay or like 
fondant icing or lots of different ways it's come out and knitting has been the most enduring one that fits so well into my life and stuck around but I think I've always had that drive I'm not sure whether everybody feels that way but I certainly believe there's a craft or some way of expressing it for everybody I totally believe that and I think it's like it does come out in like such a variety of ways like either you you might like cooking you know and like you put extra of your soul into cooking or it can be gardening or something but like we have that in us you know mm. and it brings this comfort and it brings the joy of like creation of making something out of nothing it's like really magical I feel and I guess it's a real like if you think about how we spend a lot of our time in modern life a lot of it is kind of thinking and I don't know interacting and being on screens and there isn't a tangible end result for many people's jobs or certainly not my job or um whereas this is something where you're kind of doing more with your hands you know probably stimulating a different part of your brain um and I guess we as humans used to do a lot more of that because in our daily lives we had to literally do the washing physically with our hands not put it in a washing machine or um and we don't do those manual tasks anymore well, I also find there are different kinds of knitters out there. Like the more people I interview, the more people I meet, the more like I see that there are different schools of thoughts. Like you have people who knitted all their lives and they're very comfortable knitting what they know, what they're familiar with, what they're comfortable with. So you have people who like only need hats and socks mm-hmm. and they'll knit it for every person and their family and every everybody they know and they're very comfortable knitting the same familiar thing and then you have people like me who sort of like I have part of me that feels like oh my god I wasted all my life not knitting (laughs) so much still unknown to me and so many things that I want to try and I want to do and like the more I learn the more I understand how much I still don't know and how much more there is to learn and so my curiosity is completely unsated at this point so I see (laughs) myself meeting for like decades from now on but I also like like challenging myself so Mm. for me nothing in knitting is difficult and like I understand that like knitting at the end of the day it's all a combination of the same five, six stitches, right? If you know, knit, purl, knit two together, skip, skip, knit, yarn over, knit three together, like you're golden. You can knit absolutely anything. There is nothing that stops you from learning any kind of technique. And I feel like people who are like me, people who have this thirst for knowledge, push themselves to learn like most difficult techniques a year after they learn how to knit. Like I know people who like just learned how to knit during COVID and they knitting the most complex things out there. And I think it's amazing, isn't it, that there's a place in knitting for all of those different people. Like there's a place in knitting for people who are really kind of love to challenge themselves like you and want to learn all the techniques like yesterday. And that's what floats your boat about knitting. Maybe that you, you're never going to run out of new things to learn. Um, And then there's also a place for people can get the same therapeutic benefit, really, um, out of knitting garter stitch and in squares or knitting hats and never knitting all of those complicated things. But that's like the interesting thing about knitting, because it's like it's like, you know, reading 
you can come to the library and you're going to find the book that interests you and I'm going to find the book that interests yeah. me. And we're going to find something that speaks to our souls and our inner thoughts at the moment where when we leave it, right? The moment when it happens. And I find that a lot in meeting because there are times when you just burned out with the world, with all the things that's happening in your life and all you want to do is need something mindless. And then there are times when you bored with what you're doing and there are times when you need some like color in your life and you to find some joy and you need to find some challenge and you'll go for something difficult or something colorful so there is like a right project for every person and the right yeah. project for every time in your life and I find like that's the most beneficial thing about knitting because you can always find something that's going to comfort you yeah I think that's really true and I think actually it's something Maybe it took me quite a while of knitting to arrive at that conclusion in a in a kind of formed way. And I think also I still feel like I hear and meet people who feel like they are uh, judging their own ability to knit. Whereas I'm very much like as a psychologist thinking like the important thing is not being the best knitter ever or knitting the most complicated thing or whatever it is, you know, what I might my sister and I went to a yarn festival and we each bought yarn for a sweater. And my kids said to me, is this a sister sweater? My mom and her sister have like uh, twin craft projects that they do at the same time as a way of connecting. They don't live in the same country. And I said, well, it is because I bought the stuff for the sweater that I need to knit right now, which is an intarsia <laughs> pullover with like five different colors. And I enjoyed choosing all the colors. And I like to have complicated things because it, you know, absorbs my brain and it's exciting for me to do that. You know, that's the bit that sparks joy. And my sister has a very busy job. She's a newer knitter and she needed something that she will actually finish, a jumper that she will actually want to wear. And she's chosen a different type of yarn and a different pattern. And that was the perfect thing for each of us. Like there's not one that's better than the other. They're just different. And it's about knowing what you need <laughs> at that moment. And then there are other times I need something really, yeah, easy so that I can focus on doing other things around me. I think it's also like what it taught me meeting all these meters, right? Meeting people through my channel is that a lot of time we put pressure on ourselves. It's like completely self-created. You know, the mystery need along that was happening. The West needs mystery need along. Yeah. There's like people who embrace your pace like you do and people who like feel very competitive like I do, right? <laughs> so stay on time. And I was like, I'm not on time this clue number two and that stresses me out and then I'm seeing people who like need one row at the a day you know and that brings them joy and I'm like why I'm being so silly you know <laughs> I feel like we also teach each other to be kind to ourselves because we are our worst critics and yeah. we put pressure on ourselves so like I'm learning a lot from the community and it's mm. sort of a, um, different perspectives you know and how you don't have to work on one project. You can have 40 different projects going on at the same time as long as you feel at peace with that. But if it stresses you out, perhaps it's not for you and you should work on one project, you know? So it's like we're all different and it's very interesting how like what stresses somebody is totally relaxing to another person. And you sort of have to find that for yourself, you know? Yeah, and probably for each of us, it will change over time you know, depending on what else is going on in our lives or, you know, that won't stay the same. It will be different at different points. 
Mm. And how about for you in terms of like what projects you have on the go at once? In what ways does knitting kind of benefit your life and your mental well-being? I mean, honestly, to me, it's the the biggest benefit from knitting is probably the social element of it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds funny because we have this preconceived notion that knitting is something solitary that you do at home, you sit in some corner and you knit and you disconnect from the world. But to me, knitting connected me to so many people. I mean, knitting connected me with you, right? Knitting yeah. connected me with all the guests of my channel. I get to see the brain of people, like most creative people on this planet. I get to pick how they think, how they create, how what sparks their imagination, like where they get their ideas from. And I also get to see their everyday struggle and their insecurities and their unsureness about like where it's going and how to make something else, right? Like, let's say there is one successful project, but how do you go about creating the next successful project? Mm. And then we have all the social media putting pressure on us of like one reel goes viral, but how do I make the next reel go viral? And how do I get followers when they unfollow me? And why did they unfollow me? And why did they follow me? And all these things. So to me, honestly, like knitting, the most interesting things about it is probably the community of knitters yeah. and the diversity of people you meet. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, I mean, I can tell from the way you interview people, like you're very interested in humans and how they tick. <laughs> I'm actually like, there's a lot of people who do interviews and a lot of times you would listen to the interview and you would get the idea about the designs. You would get the idea about techniques. But very rarely do people open up and show you their soul and show their their way of thinking. So to me, that was always the most interesting thing, like to find the to find the real person behind the facade of a designer or facade of the fiber artist, you know. So it's really brought you lots of connections with other people, which is something you really enjoy. How about like the process of knitting for you? It sounds like it is a lot for you more the more kind of stimulating exciting creative side of things are there times when you use it for more of a, like a calming regulating kind of soothing type activity like my youngest child is now applying to colleges and let me tell you the most stressful time <laughs> I've been through like stressful times I don't know college application is just like really stressful for parents not for kids really, but for parents so to me like being able to go to my chair and to knit for half an hour and just it forces you into this meditative state mm. when you ask yourself well what's the worst that can happen you know it's like it it sort of makes you a more tolerant person it makes you calm a person and it makes you a more pleasant person and I noticed that when I don't have knitting the time to knit or the opportunity to knit I'm getting antsy like this really calms me down you know yeah. Have you learned anything about yourself as a result of being a knitter or changed it? Has it changed anything about you, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And it's like endless list because it, it definitely changed me because I went from the person who was like excited to learn something new in every project. Now I'm at peace with not learning anything new in the project and just enjoying the process, right? But I'm also still looking forward for new things to learn. But it also made me more patient with myself, basically, because I was, you know, it's like 
when I was knitting at the beginning, I could see all the mistakes and they were killing me. Mm-hmm. Now I look at the things I made back then and I find them endearing. I'm like, oh, this is like, I see them as beauty marks. I see them think like that shows that it was handmade, that it was made for me. And it's sort of like you're knitting. When you look at the knitting, you see the memories of that time. Like it creates almost like a diary. You can yeah. remember like what was happening in your life when you finished this show or who you were talking with when you were knitting that particular spot in the show. And you remember the mistakes you're making, but you also remember people who helped you through those mistakes, people who assured you that like you'll get better, people who assured you that it can be fixed, showed you how to fix those mistakes. You know, so it's like, it's really sort of almost like a diary of your life. That's so true. I came across a baby hat the other day that I'd knitted for my cousin's eldest child, who is a teenager now. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, like on reflection, I was thinking, should I put a picture of this on Instagram and talk about memories? And I was like, it's a very funny shape for a hat, really. It's fun. And I think it was the first time I'd knitted cables, but there were certainly some days when I was knitting that when things were really tricky, I was completing my thesis and then I was ill when I was thinking, I woke up in the morning and thought, it's a good job I'm excited about my knitting project because I'm not very thrilled about the rest of what today holds for me. And that's, you know, exactly what you were saying about the memories in your knitting. But I also noticed that like every project somehow, like even without me understanding it, prepares me for what's to come. Mm-hmm. So lots of times I would need something and I would struggle with some technique or I would just like figure something, you know, there's this light bulb moment when something didn't make sense and suddenly it makes sense to you. So like I would go through that light bulb project only to get like to the next project and suddenly realize that this is exactly what I need for the next project. Mm-hmm. So it's all like somehow like it, it grow, you, you grow as a person with every experience And I think like the fact that I met so many interesting designers through my channel, I also met a lot of very interesting people because I was interested in test knitting. So I test knit a ton. And every designer writes the patterns differently. Every designer has their own vocabulary sort of. And it's so interesting how you change as a knitter with every test Mm. knit that yeah, so it's really very much about the process, like both right. in the knitting and in the you developing as a a knitter, I suppose, right. and a human. What's your relationship to mistakes like now? Has it changed over time? Um, I'm like I I'm still a perfectionist at heart, so the mistakes bother me. But like I learned how to fix a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. There are times when I don't. Like, I know it's going to really irritate me mm-hmm. and I need to undo it and redo it. So, for example, like I was doing this last uh, West Needs Mystery Knit Along and there is a place where cabled part attached to the regular knitting. Yeah, and I haven't got the- to that bit yet. <laughs> so, like a tip of the day, right? So, in the pattern, uh, it just says, like, pick up stitches, but then in the video that Stephen West does, he shows from which stitch you should start picking up. And so uh-huh. you, there is three I-cord stitches and the first stitch is going into the 
third I-cord stitch. And it seems like unimportant, but then the cables align just properly. Like they align with the stripes. And so I, I learned that the hard way. So I needed a few rows and then I saw that the cables don't align and it really bothered. I mean, this is the engineer in me, right? So I, I <laughs> like precision of the lines and like, I'm sure Steven didn't plan for those cables to go off the center, right? So then I watched the video and I understood where I made the mistake. And I just knew that I couldn't leave this that. So I undid the whole thing and redid it, right? And is that like a peaceful process or a traumatic process for you? No, like, you know what? It's funny because I interviewed Suzanne Bryan and she told me this um, thing. She said, you know, you're going to the movie theater. You're spending $15 on the ticket. And at the end of the movie, you have nothing. But then if you buy a skein of yarn for $15 and you need, you can knit it for many hours. And then if you made a mistake and you unfrog it, you can knit it for many more hours. Yeah. It just continues in entertainment. And ever since she said that, I'm sort of looking at the mistakes and fixing mistakes as just continuous entertainment. So I actually, I, I don't- value get, for money. <laughs> right. I don't get frustrated with mistakes. It just sort of like teaches you to pay attention and it doesn't matter how experienced of a knitter you are and I still consider myself a rookie in many things you can make a mistake so mm. it's just a matter of like either learning to live with those mistakes or learning how to fix those mistakes yeah. and I do think that is one of the I think it's one of the biggest things I've got better at as a result of being a knitter and it's one of the things I tell people all the time when I teach people to knit is about mistakes that you will make them all the time the best knitters in the world make them and it's made me better at tolerating my mistakes in other areas of life and I certainly think I can peacefully unravel an entire you know torso of a colorwork sweater because it didn't fit the way I wanted it to and I feel like yeah well I enjoyed knitting it the first time I'll enjoy knitting it the second time it's okay i well, it's also depends on the mistake because there are mistakes that you can just fudge a little bit, you know, yeah. like if you're missing one stitch and you need to add another stitch, like I wouldn't undo the whole thing. No. I'll, I'll just add a stitch, you know, but if it's lace and you go like you miss one stitch, then chances are the whole thing is going to be crooked. So you, it's also like what what knitting taught me that it's like everything else in life, you know, to catch those mistakes early, you need to learn how to read your knitting. And that's the skill that probably took me this five years and probably going to take me another 20. Because when you know how to read your knitting, you spot those mistakes almost immediately. Mm. Yeah. And I guess I certainly learned to fix them through trial and error <laughs> um, because YouTube didn't exist when I learned how to knit. And I think, I guess you probably do need to get to a certain level of experience of knitting to even know what went wrong in the first place before you can figure out, you know, and to have a, a range of strategies in your head that you could use to to fix it. Um, I remember also like talking to um, Suzanne Crawford and she was talking about um, museum pieces that she was uh, reviving and replicating. And she said, interestingly enough, like most pieces in the museums are not perfect mm. because like something that was perfect, people wore to death. They, they would go like from generation to generation and they would never end up in the museum. They would be just worn to holes, you know, and things that 
got preserved in the museums, they usually weren't perfect enough to sell or weren't oh, perfect. That's interesting. A lot of pieces that we have today in the museums have some imperfections and that's what makes them interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think my mum taught me a good way of thinking about mistakes, which was in terms of like you being the you're the creative director of this situation. So you need to think about is it going to bother you that mistake? And if it is, and you'll feel, you know, it'll annoy you every time you wear that jumper, go back and sort it out. And if it's not, if you can live with it, and it's fine, then leave it. Um, and I thought that was quite good because it's not thinking about what other people think or is anyone going to notice. And it's more about thinking, OK, this is your art. <laughs> You're the creative director. You make your choice. Is there anything that surprised you from all of the many, many knitters you have interviewed in terms of thinking about the the things people get, the benefits um, from pe for people's mental health or from knitting? Is there anything you've kind of learned or that surprised you in doing all those interviews? I mean, the thing is that's really surprising that I don't only interview the knitters, I interview different kinds of fiber artists. And it's amazing how much we have in common. Mm. That it doesn't matter what exactly you do. There is not like one craft that's specific to the issues. It's like we all have our artistic blocks where whether it's like you can't pick up the next project to need or you don't know what your next design is going to be. We all feel down about some things in our knitting life. Mm -hmm. You might not like the way the tension goes, or you might not enjoy the final look of it, or you thought it's going to look that way and it looks this way, or you knitted the sweater and you thought it's going to be beautiful on you and it makes you look weird, you know? So <laughs> every single person deals with the same sort of insecurities and with the same sort of joy that they derive from their fiber arts. And I also find that a lot of people do multiple crafts. Like you mentioned, you mm. do the cross-stitch and I used to do cross-stitch for years. And it's like, it's our love of creating that allows us to be good in multiple crafts. Mm -hmm. Not like really knitters of the world and crocheters of the world, because we all probably like, if you can knit, you probably can crochet, you know, yeah. it's like matter of like what you prefer to do at certain time. And so that was like the most interesting thing. And I think it's interesting um, talking about blocks and things because I I was on another podcast um, talking about um, making more generally and people were talking about having the challenge of when um, knitting or the fibre arts becomes your job and then your relationship with it, I suppose, changes. Whereas that's something I've never really experienced. It's always been very much for me a hobby and I've never had, you know, I don't even really engage in deadlines that often, you know, occasionally for gifts, but I'm uh, many times wrapped up and gifted things with needles still in or slightly damp from blocking. <laughs> so I don't get too stressed about those things. But the idea of, um, you know, sometimes we need to do something different. Like if you've hit a, if your knitting isn't giving you the um, creative outlet that it once did, you know, I've um over the past week because my kids have had their birthdays been making tiny animals out of sugar paste icing <laughs> and found that so therapeutic in a different way because I don't have an idea about needing or having any reason to be good at that or any expectations I do it like once a year for children's birthdays they'll be delighted either way <laughs> that's all that counts <laughs> I interviewed recently 
a lady who wrote the book about combining yoga and knitting okay and, like, meditative things and she said you know like when we think about yoga we have this like image of somebody bending themselves into the pretzel right but that's not necessarily yoga like yoga can be just breathing yoga can be like finding this meditative space and she said if you go into the yoga without expectation if you just go like as a total beginner like children you know like children don't have any fear of trying something like you tell them let's bake bread they're ready to bake bread you tell them let's go for a walk they they they're always like ready and accepting of the new things So this is like the beginner's mindset. And she said, like, if you approach everything with this beginner's mindset, then you're not afraid to make a mistake and you're not afraid to try something new and it just gives you more joy. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to incorporate that a little bit into my life, this mindfulness and, and like being kind to yourself and letting yourself admit that like you don't necessarily know everything but as long as you enjoy the process like that's what that's all that counts Mm. and I guess we as adults we find ways of having niches in our lives where we can get into a position where we don't try new things that often or things we're not that good at but Um, also like what you mentioned about gifts like we are entering into the holiday season and so many knitters talk about that pressure to like make a handmade gift for every single person that they know people at work people like their relatives and there is this expectation that if you are a knitter and you're enjoying knitting then you should be enjoying making gifts Mm -hmm. and suddenly you find yourself under pressure you find yourself that like you not have you don't have enough time to finish socks for your favorite uncle you know something so like a lot of it is also being able to say you know it's okay to buy a gift. You don't have to make a gift for everybody. And it's okay to say no to test need. It's okay to... And you also hear about people calling themselves selfish knitters in inverted commas, um, which is interesting, isn't it? That Because um, you don't hear about people playing a selfish football match or other things people might do for a hobby or like right. playing a selfish round of golf. <laughs> like, that's um, There's no reason this hobby should be for other people (laughs) a bit of guilt associated somehow with creative uh, hobbies where you actually make some tangible things where there's an expectation that like well you already enjoy it and we also talked about before we started that about the pricing your art right so a lot of artists complain about the same things that when they try to charge for their work people find it but this is like outrageous price but they don't find it outrageous when they go for like a consultation to a doctor or consultation to, you know, a teacher or something. They accept that this is the salary mm. and you want to charge $100 for a beanie that took you 10 hours to need. It's yeah. outrageous, you know. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? And I think I also feel slightly intimidated by the idea of it being art. Like, I think I don't think of myself as somebody who's arty. <laughs> I feel more comfortable with crafty. <laughs> right. um, because there's an idea that it has to, I don't know, I think for me it's like feels serious or um, that it has to be good. <laughs> it is art because... Yeah, it is. Like, if you are the one who's choosing the colours, yeah. you are the who's choosing the yarn you are the one who's choosing the projects right so it's so much of you in that creation 
that it turns into art. And if you make something and I'll make something and it's going to be the same project, they're not going to look the same. They're going to be different. And that's what makes it into art. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. And that's the joy of the creativity, isn't it? Like doing the um, Westnitz mystery knit along, seeing, I love seeing all of the different versions that look so different and the colours people have chosen and uh, the ways people have tweaked patterns. And yeah, that's, a, you know, part of the joy, isn't it? Being the creative director of your own project. Right. Yeah. I, your mum was on for something. Yeah, I think so. And I think I use that a lot with my kids, actually. Um, the idea of, you know, because sometimes I'll get in a situation where the older one will say something about the younger one's picture, like, oh, that isn't exactly what a fox looks like or something like that and I was like no 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 there's no right or wrong like this is a creative thing she's the creative director of that piece of paper I think that's that's it you know that's about being kind to yourself and being kind to others and and also that's what the point is like the point isn't it looks perfect or the end result in fact the point is the process and you know yeah it brings you joy just enjoy yeah um I would love to hear about a significant knitting project for you. Well, one of the biggest projects of this year, mm-hmm. a shawl, it's called the fourth one. It's okay. by Moonstress. So it's probably the largest Shetland lace shawl I've knitted so far. And it only weighs 70 grams and it can slide through a wedding ring. Wow. It was the thinnest yarn I used. It was 4,000 meters per 100 grams yarn on uh, 1.75 millimeter needle so you're knitting basically cobweb on toothpicks yes <laughs> it was it took a long time it was a, like a complicated project technically because I was one of the I was lucky enough to be one of the test knitters for this thing and things were sort of created as we were knitting it but to see it done like it's you know it's glory is just mind-blowing it's something like when they talk about heirloom knitting like I would love that should be part of the this family's heirloom you know yeah sounds very precious yeah yeah that's amazing and how do you even go about knowing how long that will take did you have to was there a deadline (laughs) for the test knitting there was no deadline because Monique was like designing the center as we were knitting the borders so it was like a collaboration in a sense because the testers were meeting one part and she was thinking of how to do how to create the center for it so it was like very interesting to watch her design she was a lot of pressure because we were waiting for her to finish the, <laughs> the design of the center so that was like putting a lot of pressure on her but it it was like beautiful to be part of that team and I did actually an episode about uh so she has a series of it's four four shawls. It's called the first, the second, the third, and the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And she's to continue those. And they're all different shapes and they're all different designs. Um, so I did an episode where I was interviewing her and all the test knitters participating in that test knit. And it was very interesting to see, like, to hear the story of that and to see how people approached it differently, you know. Mm. Yeah, it must be fun to be part of that process, like kind of constructing it together in a way. It, there's a lot of pressure because you like, you feel so responsible that you can't, you know, there's like, it's 
part of me loves test knitting because I feel like I'm part of the something big happening. Yeah. Part of me hates test knitting because <laughs> I'm like I must finish it on time and I must do a good job with it and I can't just put it aside and like not do it. So there is a lot of like, even though like, you know, there nobody is irreplaceable and if I'm not doing it, somebody else will. So it's all self-imposed self-pressure, but that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, but I think also, I guess you probably feel like you've made a commitment to somebody. And yeah, I've looked at test calls before and just never, I just can't meet deadlines <laughs> in knitting. I, I, did, I did 19 test needs last year wow. alone. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I do love it. Like I love meeting different designers and I love seeing their process, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's also like oftentimes I'm feeling burnt out afterwards and I just need to have something that I can choose that I don't have to need for deadline and yeah. not responsible to anybody for it. Yeah. So it's this tough balance, you know. And do you have, what's your relationship like with the finished items? I know you said you gift a lot of them now. Is there any part of the appeal of knitting that relates to the, I know you talked about your heirloom, this heirloom blanket, or, you know, do you wear the things that you make, the ones you keep? I wear them occasionally like if I go out I will I will wear a shawl but it's not something it's not part of my everyday okay. uh, into wear necessarily often you will find it on my mannequin on my shows like where I would show the shawls that I knitted yeah um and in terms of knitting it sounds like gifting it sounds like actually when you had that colleague who you were knitting some the booties that kick-started the knitting that when you were thinking about a special gift in your mind, that was something to make. Right. That was interesting rather than buying something. I mean, I just thought it's going to be like more special and it definitely and that kid wore those booties. I mean, swatching is not my strong point. <laughs> um, and who's who's I, strong point is swatching. <laughs> and at that time, I didn't even know that that was a thing. So I just, and apparently I'm a very loose knitter. So I learned that about myself as well for the year. So that kid was wearing those booties until he was like two and a half, basically. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's great value for money. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear something you do for, to benefit your mental health that's unrelated to knitting. I love cooking. Uh -huh. I love meeting this friend. I love traveling, which COVID sort of made impossible. Mm. I also love reading. I love reading anything history related. Okay, um, yeah. So, yeah, that that's probably like mostly what I do, other than meeting. But I must tell you, there is less and less free time in my life from meeting, <laughs> because the, the longer I've been, I'm doing it, the more I want to do it. Yeah. And, a rare day nowadays when I'm not meeting so yeah yeah although I guess you would always need to eat so cooking will have to stay <laughs> yeah and I actually just discovered instant pots so my sister-in-law gifted one for my birthday uh -huh. and the whole new world out there apparently visits so I've been experimenting a lot with that ah nice and I guess traveling could also be combined with knitting couldn't it I suppose traveling to well you know what that's interesting because I, I never bring my knitting on my vacations oh it's it's interesting like I know I'm not typical in that way because mm. I 
feel like I need so much day to day that when I'm going away, I want to be in the moment of wh where I am and see what I can see mm -hmm. and myself in that. So I rarely actually bring my knitting with me. Ah, oh, interesting. And do you like, if you were going somewhere and there was yarn, would you go and go to a yarn shop or do you have a complete break from knitting related things? I would go to yarn shop, but I wouldn't would. be knitting there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yarn collecting in my world is completely different hobby from knitting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unrelated. Like, I, I never have a plan for what I'm buying. I'm just buying it and know that someday the proper project will find okay. its that yarn. Yeah. So that's a separate hobby. Right. Right. I see. Yeah. And okay. pattern collecting is another hobby completely unrelated. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, Irina, I always end with asking, what's the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life? What are your thoughts on that question? I think it's basically like the whole sense of being part of the history, being something that like people did before for generations and I can do it and my grandchildren can wear some of the stuff that I make and think about that continuity. Mm -hmm. So that kind of generational something that continues. Definitely like a, a piece of um, comfort and belonging and feel of home for me mm. do you think that was partly why your grandma wanted to teach you to pass on do you think she had that desire to pass on the skill I wonder like I really wish I could talk to her like mm. I I really feel like that would be one interview I would love to do uh, yeah yeah and I'm sure she would be very pleased and impressed with my knitting and where I, it got me today of course yeah, I don't know if you often teach other people, but I, you know, I recently taught some other mums from school and then got a text message the next day saying someone who'd literally just learned how to do garter stitch had gone home and texted me a picture and said, I stayed up till midnight knitting. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so delighted. So I'm sure your grandma would be thrilled to know that you know where this these skills have gone <laughs> and the funny part that the way she taught me it's a, it's called combinational uh continental style okay so not there is a classical continental and then there is combination continental so she taught me that specific uh way and that's what came back to me like when i was mm. watching youtube tutorials it wasn't about how they needed like I knew how to do it my grandma's way so that's sort of like you know precious for me that like I think I have this connection with her yeah definitely that's a really special thing yeah, yeah. well Irina thank you so much for um talking to me it's been super interesting to hear um, thank you for having me on your podcast <laughs> you're so welcome so um if people want to watch your YouTube channel or follow you on Instagram, how would they do that? It's fiber chats everywhere. Okay. And that's F-I-B-E-R, the American fiber right. spelling. Yeah. Okay. Super. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you would like to find out more about my work, you can sign up to the newsletter on my website, which is therapeuticknitting.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at Knitting is Therapeutic. If you've enjoyed the podcast, it would be brilliant if you could 
leave me a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe because it helps more people to learn about therapeutic benefits of knitting.